We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What is going on, folks? Welcome to another week of Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. Unfortunately, Eric Crocker is out today. Obviously, it's Christmas Eve when I'm recording this, so he's out enjoying some time with his family, which I will not fault him with whatsoever. Um, Unfortunately, I was looking forward to recording with him tonight because if you follow Crocker on Twitter, which if you don't, you should, uh, an incredible source of all things football, uh, at Eric underscore Crocker, you would know if you followed him that he was doing a little drinking today. Uh, apparently his, I think he said it was his stepmom, um, mixed up some drinks and got Eric a little saucy. So I was looking forward to recording with him tonight because uh, you know how uh, you know passionate he is, emotional he is. I was looking forward to seeing if I could get him all riled up about you know any given subject. Maybe you know Jalen Ramsey's misplay, or you know Jimmy Garoppolo, you know what have you, whatever you know. He's he's passionate about a lot of things. So um, I was bummed to hear that Crocker couldn't make it, just because I knew he would uh, he'd be a good time tonight, at, at least more so than he usually is. So um, R.I.P. to that, but that's all good. Um, on another note, happy holidays. Uh, Merry Christmas. I hope you're all doing well and enjoying some time uh, with loved ones. Um, but if you're not, and if that's not your thing, then you've got me. We're here, and, and I love you. And we're going to let's talk some 49ers. 
All right. So uh, once again, we are coming off uh, something that's become common this week is we're coming off another win at the 49ers. Uh, won a very important game against the Rams in their playoff quest. Uh, it was a it was a pretty good game. Overall, it was a good game of football. The 49ers didn't necessarily play um, a, a nearly as dominant game against their NFC West rivals. I wouldn't say rivals. I think Seahawks owned that title, but their NFC West opponents, as they did earlier in the season. Obviously, earlier in the season, they dominated the Rams. Um, it wasn't even a competitive game whatsoever. Jared Goff had one of the worst games of his career. So it wasn't a, a game, you know, it was a statement game for the 49ers, but it was uh, this week's game or Sunday's game wasn't anywhere near uh, that type of game. Excuse me, I said Sunday, I meant Saturday night. So obviously the highlight of the game that that when you look back at this game and, and whatever it ends up mean for the 49ers, you're going to remember the two third and 16 plays in the game winning drive. And I think along with that, in the same way that when Russell Wilson threw the ball on the one yard line in the Super Bowl against the Patriots and was intercepted, that that reaction that Sherman had, you know, everybody, trust me, everybody listening to this knows that face. Um, just goes to show you how quickly things can, can come back around given he's on the 49ers now. But I think everybody's going to remember, um, and I'm completely drawing a blank. On his name right now, <laughs> Sean McVay, the Rams head coach, Sean McVay, his just he it wasn't a blank stare, but right when the 49ers completed that huge bomb to Emmanuel Sanders on the second, third and 16 of the drive, his face was just it was almost like rage and disbelief combined. He was just he was like looking it looked like he was looking somewhere else. He wasn't even in Levi's stadium anymore. He was looking beyond Levi's stadium. He was looking beyond Santa Clara and just, you know, you could just, you could just see it in his face that he was just in absolute disbelief. So on the first third and 16, Jimmy Garoppolo threaded a needle right down the middle to Kendrick Bourne, who an underrated part of that play is right after he caught it, um, Eric Waddell's safety was bearing down on him and Bourne kind of, shuffled to not shuffled he turned to the right he turned his body to the right got skinny which uh, Eric Weddle came running by him and hit the other guy trying to tackle Bourne and Bourne was able to fall uh, a couple yards forward and pick up the first down had now obviously it was a great throw from Jimmy Garoppolo he was under pressure um, but had Bourne not had the wherewithal to turn and fall forward like that uh, the 49ers wouldn't have gotten to play. Now, that's not to say they wouldn't have gone for it. They would have gone for it because it was on a game-winning drive, but it would have been fourth and one, fourth and inches, um, and it wouldn't have been nearly as amazing of a play as it was. So huge props to Bourne on that one. And then a couple plays later, a third and 16, and Jimmy Garoppolo hits a massive bomb to Emmanuel Sanders in a play where the Rams kind of busted a coverage. It was kind of a, a cover-two look where Jalen Ramsey was in a trail technique. And I know he caught quite a bit of flack for that, just from the way the optics of it, the way it looked on on video, where Jalen Ramsey kind of just let Emmanuel Sanders run by him, and he kind of followed him. Well, that, it was kind of playing a trail technique, where if, if Emmanuel Sanders were to break to the right on like a dig route across the field, uh, Jalen Ramsey would turn with him and be in good position. You know, if if... Uh, Emmanuel Sanders breaks down and runs like a hit or, you know, a deep hit right at the sticks or a comeback back towards the sideline or back towards the quarterback. Jalen Ramsey's right there and he can cover that route. Well, 
that's how it started. But then after Jalen Ramsey started following Emmanuel Sanders downfield, Emmanuel Sanders stemmed his route a little bit towards the outside, towards the sideline. And Taylor Rapp, the Rams' safety, he like way overcommitted to Emmanuel Sanders heading towards the sideline. And, and he, Emmanuel Sanders didn't do that very long. And, and Rapp ended up almost covering the sideline, looking towards the Rams' sideline. Uh, it didn't make a whole lot of football sense. I, I couldn't really make sense out of his reaction within the play. I could make sense of what Ramsey was doing. I couldn't make sense what, of, of what Rapp was doing. He ended up just covering grass. Like, he was just nowhere. So, of course, um, after Sanders kind of stemmed to the outside, he turned it into a post and came inside. And by that time, he was wide open, and Jalen Ramsey was running after Sanders as if it was his own busted coverage, when I don't believe it was. It doesn't really matter. Um, but Emmanuel Sanders was wide open. Jimmy, props to Jimmy Garoppolo, who had pressure in his face. He got hit right as he threw it. The ball sailed a little bit, but... Uh, you know, once you realize that Emmanuel Sanders was wide open, it didn't really matter. Sanders caught it. That put the 49ers well within field goal range. They ran like one running play and then let the time run out and kicked a last second field goal from Robbie Gould to win the game. So the last, I believe I, I tweeted about it, the last four games for the 49ers have all come down to last second wins or losses. So they lost to the last second field goal against the Baltimore Ravens and then they won with a last second field goal against the New Orleans Saints and they then lost to a last second touchdown against the Atlanta Falcons um, with Julio Jones and then in this game again they win with a last second field goal from Robbie Gould so the 49ers have definitely been keeping us entertained as of late it's been wild these games have just been crazy and I don't expect the game in Seattle, Sunday's game in Seattle, week 17, the final regular season game for the 49ers. I don't expect it to be any different, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, we need to, you know, kind of roll through some things here. Um, it was a rough, this, this game was weird because it was a rough start for the 49ers um, on really both sides of the ball. They went down early. Um, they were, they were, they were down quick. I think at the end of the first quarter, they were down like 14 to three. The, the halftime score was, was way towards the Rams. I want to say it was like, 2110 you know I'd have to you know let me just admit for the sake of being right or wrong let's look so at the halftime it was this doesn't really tell me but yeah so the 49ers definitely came out in the second half uh, and made something of that game it was they just got off to a rough start it seemed really weird the first time they played the rams the rams scored right away and then the rams generated nothing for the rest of the game essentially almost negative yardage um but in this game the rams just kept coming and the 49ers didn't look like they had much of an answer for you know what the what the rams were doing so it was an interesting you know, contrast to the way it was, you know, the first time they played. So, you know, it's, it's, and I was way off by the way, as the score going into half, the 49ers were winning. Um, you know, I just, it got a little, a little off. And at one point, the 49ers in the second quarter were losing 21 to 10. Um, at the start of the second quarter, they were losing 14 to three. So things seemed like they could get out of hand there for a little bit. Um, but the 49ers kind of quickly, you could tell that Kyle Shanahan started once again, getting in his bag, calling plays. Um, Raheem Moster had a great run late in the second quarter to, um, 
I mean, the offensive line just blocked it up perfectly. He had just basically all this room to run through, but Raheem's fast. Nobody can catch him. Uh, he went through the hole to the right and, and it was a 16 yard touchdown. And then later on in the game, Jared Goff uh, threw into the flats. Fred Warner made an incredible play. He read the play the entire time. It almost looks like he was scooting uh, to his left, heading into the flat behind the offensive and defensive lines. And and he was almost like hiding behind them. Now, for, obviously, Fred Warner's not really hiding behind anybody. He's, he's a solid 6'3". He's a very big dude. But um, And Jared Goff didn't see him. Threw into the flat um, to Gurley and... Fred Warner just cut right in front of the ball. It, it was kind of a, a lazy pass from Goff. He didn't really drive it in, didn't set his feet. But again, he didn't think he had to because it's just throwing it out of the flat. And Fred Warner was right there, took the ball, took it all the way for a pick six. And that was, you know, there was only a minute and 35 seconds left in the half at that time. And that was a really incredible, you know, play for the 49ers to take the lead with. It almost seemed like that kind of captured a lot of the momentum. Now, on the other hand, uh, the 49ers offense didn't start off the second half very good. The Rams got the ball back and came right down and scored and retook the lead. So, you know, it was very, very back and forth. The first, like I said, sections of the first half seemed very one-sided. But then once you got to that point where the, the Rams hit that 21 to 10 uh, point differential, the 49ers started to pick it up and they made it more of a game. And then it started going back and forth. Uh, 49ers went at a halftime leading 21, or excuse me, 24, 21. Um, Rams take the lead 28-24 Then the 49ers retake the lead uh, Jimmy Garoppolo hitting George Kittle for that touchdown Start of the fourth quarter um, And then You know then the Rams tie it up with a field goal And that's when the 49ers make their fourth quarter drive There towards the end of the game So very interesting game The 49ers as of late have, have found a way to keep it interesting uh, And I think one of the takeaways We can get from that game is at least In moments where it's needed I think the 49ers offense has proven That they can get it done this year. Now they've had some missteps, you know, the, the overtime stuff, the going forward on fourth and one stuff. Should they have, could they have, but more often than not, I feel like the 49ers offense has proven that it's capable of turning it up and scoring points when it needs to. I mean, their first thought's going to come to the saints game when the defense just wasn't really playing up to par. They gave up 46 points. The defense definitely looks a little bit more vulnerable than it did at the start of the season. That's a combination of injuries. Um, you know, as seasons go on, teams find more and more out about teams. They're able to look at more film and find different ways to exploit teams. And the 49ers have definitely become a lot less threatening on defense. Now, that's not to say that they're a bad defense. They still are among the league's best, but they, they don't near look nearly as impenetrable as they, as they once did. Um, but help is coming. The 49ers are starting to, to get healthy, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, another extremely important takeaway from the Rams game is that they, the 49ers escaped essentially injury-free. Um, backup safety, Tarverius Moore did get a concussion. And but it looks like the way the week's practice is, is kind of carrying out, he's probably going to be okay and, and good to go against the Seahawks. But we'll see. Um, of course, what I would like to spend the majority of this podcast talking about, I feel like you know that's enough for the Rams. And, and obviously, I don't want this episode to be too long. I know that when me and Croc jump on here, we're you know one of our statements, one of our, our you know our standards is that our episodes are usually a little bit longer. Uh, just because we enjoy talking football. I enjoy talking football with him. He enjoys talking football with me. We enjoy doing it together to, uh, to you know, bring it football to you guys and talk 49ers. So, but obviously today it's just me. And I know that a lot of you guys are going to be listening to this, might be listening to this on Christmas Day, day after Christmas. Um, you might not have the time at hand to uh, to partake in striking gold as much as you usually would. So I'm going to go through some some thoughts, some notes about the Seahawks, talk a little bit about 
some recent headlines as of late. And then just kind of offer my brief thoughts on what I think it's going to be able to take to finally go into uh, CenturyLink Field and get a win, which the 49ers have to do. And, and like I said, we'll get into that. So if you don't already know, the 49ers and Ram- uh, Seahawks game uh, has been flexed into prime time. So that's going to be Sunday night. It was uh, Sunday afternoon. It's now going to be Sunday night. I believe that's like the fifth or sixth primetime game for the 49ers this year, um, which is outstanding. Um, way more, I think they've either had two or three flexed into primetime. So it's just a very small, just another indication of how much the 49ers have impressed uh, this year and how how much they're exceeding our expectations and even the league's expectations. Because if the if the league knew that the 49ers were going to be a, um, you know, at worst, a 12 and four, 13 and three uh, football team this year, then the 49ers would have gotten a, a, you know, a bit more of the primetime slate. So, you know, that's just one thing that is, it's just goes back to, uh, you know, one thing, what our expectations were at the beginning of the year and what they are now. So, and, and, and another thing that, that shows you, it's a little bit of both. Um, it, it harkens to the respect the 49ers are commanding and the, uh, the state in which the Seattle Seahawks are after after their loss to the Arizona Cardinals is the 49ers are favored by three points in Seattle. Uh, and if you don't understand how that kind of line works, if all things are neutral, um, betters, you know, odds makers uh, usually offer the home team three points just because you're playing with a home field advantage. If they believe the two teams are pretty much equal and they would be an equal game, you know, nobody favored on a neutral site, uh, it'd be, you know, obviously zero. But since it's at home, they're favored by three. Well, the 49ers to be favored by three going into Seattle means they're essentially expected to win by six, if that makes sense. Because normally they would give the three to Seattle, but they're giving three to the 49ers. So that's a that's a significant spread, especially for a 49ers team going into, like I said, CenturyLink. So that's, that's interesting. Now, the huge headline this week – is the 40 or excuse me the Seahawks have signed Marshawn Lynch their esteemed and fabled running back who hasn't played football in over a year um he played I think I believe he played six games last year uh for the Oakland Raiders before succumbing to injury and and didn't really play for the rest of the season and he didn't play all of this year so uh, the the Seahawks have signed Marshawn Lynch, and they plan to utilize him. Now, the reason that they signed Marshawn Lynch, I have, a, I have several reasons that I'm going to get into. But the first and the most obvious is that the Seahawks are in have a very depleted roster right now. Now, it's not, not head-to-toe, and, and obviously 49ers fans, essentially your reaction would be, I don't want to hear it because we've dealt with injuries uh, over the last few years like crazy. In the last three years. So uh, most 49er fans are going to react in that way. I don't want to hear it. But uh, the Seahawks are in a very uh, depleted state right now. Um, their lead running back, 1,200-yard rusher, Chris Carson, he's out for Week 17 and I believe done for the season. Uh, he has a broken hip. Um, Pete Carroll said today, I believe, that he wasn't sure if it was going to require surgery. Um, second, not really second, uh, his backup, uh, C.J. Procise. Uh, backup running back, he broke his arm, and he's going to require surgery, and so he's out for the season. Um, left tackle Dwayne Brown has a knee issue that's going to require surgery. He's out for the season. Um, they already lost Rashad Penny, who was the complement to Chris Carson, kind of like they were starting running backs together. Uh, they lost him to an ACL injury earlier uh, just a few weeks ago, so he's obviously out. They just recently lost uh, Josh Gordon, who was suspended for uh, failing a drug test for like the fifth time. 
not for the fifth time. He was suspended for the fifth time. I'm sure he's failed, you know, two or three times as many drug tests. So he's not going to be there anymore. And he actually played a fairly significant role against the 49ers when they came to Levi Stadium earlier in the season. A uh, few c- crucial catches in that game. Uh, Quandre Diggs, who has been outstanding for them. Uh, he's dealing with an ankle ankle injury and it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to play. Uh, he had an interception against the 49ers, uh, when they played uh, earlier in the season. So that's, that's a huge, he's been a huge difference maker for them. Um, Shaquille Griffin, he's also dealing with a hamstring injury and he kind of seems doubtful as well. Um, I, I'm not, these aren't official designations, just kind of when you listen to Pete Carroll talk about all these injuries, this is just kind of the, the, uh, you know, where it seems to be leaning. Now, one, one huge boost for them is, uh, Jadevian Clowney, who was outstanding against the 49ers. Um, he's been dealing with a core injury. He, I believe he's missed the last couple of games. He's back at practice. So the 49ers will likely have to face him. Um, but obviously, like you can see, there's just a host of other injuries for the Seahawks. And that kind of brings me down to my next point, which is the Marshawn Lynch signing is way more about what am I trying to, what's the best way to word this here? It's way more about hype than it is effectiveness on a football field. Now, obviously, if there's if there's a running back who has proven that you should never doubt him, it's Marshawn Lynch. But at the same time, he's 33. He was kind of ailing even with the, Ra- uh, the Raiders. He was still very effective at times, but obviously he was dealing with injuries. Um, he hasn't played football in about, a, you know, in over a year. So it's, it's interesting to see how effective of a running back he's going to be. Now, like I said, it's Marshawn. Okay? He's got a very unique style of running. He loves just running over people rather than around them. Um, I just don't, you know, it, it, this this signing is obviously so much more about boosting the spirits of the Seahawks locker room, about boosting the spirits of the Seahawks fan base than it was signing a player that's going to truly make a difference in your locker room. If that, if that were the case, if Marshawn Lynch was a true difference maker, he would have, he wouldn't have been, you know, at home, not playing football. So it's just, this is a way of, of adding a boost to the organization, an emotional boost, you know, a hype to the organization that was just at an all time, at least, you know, a season low after their pretty rough loss to the Arizona Cardinals. The Seahawks, the Arizona Cardinals went into CenturyLink last week and beat the Cardinals 27-13. to uh, It was not a close game. The Cardinals owned that game the entire time, and it was a, a really interesting loss for the Seahawks. Uh, at a really interesting time, it's you know they're 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 ramping up to face the 49ers for the sake of the division to own the NFC West and and earn the number one seed, and they come out and just looked absolutely horrible against the Cardinals, and and this is also only um, is it coming off their their loss to. The Rams? What what did they do? No, okay. They beat the Panthers, and they barely beat the Panthers, by the way. 30-24 to the week prior. But the week before that, they lost to the Los Angeles Rams, 28-12. to So that's that's the Seahawks losing twice. Um, you know, not twice in consecutive games, but 
two consecutive, they lost two consecutive division games, both in not embarrassing fashion, but the Seahawks just looked fairly ineffective. So the 49ers are going to be able to take a close look at those two games and, and figure out what those teams did that made them so effective against the Seahawks. And there were a lot of things going into the 49ers and Seahawks first game. And, and the 49ers had cause to have thought they could have won that game or should have won that game. Um, Former kicker Chase McLaughlin, he actually did very well with it for the team, um, stepping in for Robbie Gould. I think he made seven of eight field goals and then made every extra point. Uh, but the one field goal he did miss was to win that game. So, you know, the 49ers very easily could have been going into this game in Week 17 as the person or the the team coming off the win the last time they faced. But like I said, the, the Seahawks have looked very beatable over the last three weeks, and. And both teams that bested them convincingly were NFC West opponents. So I feel like the 49ers are going to be able to glean a lot from those two losses. So back to my original point, the Seahawks were unquestionably looking for something to boost their morale, whether that's in their locker room or for the fan base, because they lost so many players um, during that Arizona Cardinals game that they had to do something. And luckily they were able to, sign somebody like Marshawn Lynch. And like I said, I don't know how effective he will be. I feel like if he is effective or if he does make plays, it's going to send that fan base into a frenzy, which you all know the Seahawks fan base and what they bring to CenturyLink Field. So the Seahawks signing Lynch just adds a little bit of fuel to a very, very dying fire uh, after that loss to the Cardinals. And, and there, I know you could just take a look on Twitter. There's a lot of folks that are very, very excited about the fact that Lynch is being signed. But going back to another one of my points, I just don't think he's going to be that effective. Uh, he hasn't been playing. He hasn't taken football reps in about a year. Now, at the same time, there is something to be said about a man who's stepping onto the field in week 17 and hasn't played a down this season. He probably will be out of shape, which is why the Seahawks will probably only give him, you know, 10 to 15 touches. Um, I would be, you know, I think that if he gets more than that, I'd be surprised because they also signed Robert Turbin, which, you know, is another running back that I believe they're essentially going to be um, splitting carries. You know, both are big kind of bruising running backs. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just how I could see them using them is just to kind of split carries. So, you know, it's just so much this, – this this signing is so much more about just igniting whatever energy they could going into this game as opposed to just riding out the – obviously, they had to sign players. Do I think there's probably better running backs that they could have signed from another team's practice squad or signed um, as free agents? Yes. Then Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin, probably. Um, and then, obviously, they have their third-string running back that stepped into the game – you know, in place of Chris Carson and CJ Procise, Travis Homer, uh, I think they're he's probably going to get uh, at least maybe probably half the carries, and I could see Lynch and Turbin kind of splitting the rest. Uh, you know, that's the guy that they're going to count on to be their guy. He's been there the whole season. Yes, he's a third string running back, but he's obviously very familiar with what they're doing this season, and I they're probably going to rely on him more than either of the other two, but. Like I said, just the dynamics behind signing somebody like Marshawn Lynch is is just really, um, it's really interesting, you know. Um, but we'll see. 
we'll see what, what that does and how effective he is. I think the 49ers defensive line will be looking forward to facing him and almost welcoming, welcoming him back to the NFL and welcoming to week 17. Um, but like I said, there's still also something to be said about somebody who hasn't taken the wear and tear of an NFL season, especially for a running back. One of the most demanding and grueling positions in the NFL where you're constantly being hit, whether it's running the ball or in pass protection. So Lynch stepping in just at the last minute for week 17, you know, there, there is something to be said there. He's going to be fresh. He's not going to be hurt. If he's in shape, then he could be effective. You, you know, it's just hard to say. At this point in a normal NFL season for a player that's been active the entire 17 weeks, they, weeks, they are hurting. They are hurting. Um, and it's not necessarily the type of injuries that you see on a report, something that's brought up uh, by the team on a weekly basis, but every single one of these players is feeling it. It's a long season. Not to mention the 49ers had a week four bye. So they haven't gotten a week off in, you know, 11 or 12 weeks. So this team's feeling it. So going up against a guy who is completely fresh, I could get interesting, but like I said, it, to me it leans a little bit more the other way in the fact that he's he's more out of football shape. He hasn't been playing. He's 33. And, you know, it'll, it'll just be interesting to see if he breaks off like a, you know, a 15 yard run or a 10 yard touchdown where he runs somebody over, you know, that place is going to go nuts, you know, they'll go nuts anyways, but for, for Marshawn, that place will, will go crazy. So, but like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit more doubtful of his ability as a running back and, and, and I'm more acknowledging the, 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 what this meant to the Seahawks to sign to sign Marshawn Lynch and kind of pull them out of that of, of the negative headlines that would have accompanied them all week. Now on the other side of the ball, for the 49ers, you have a team that's kind of slowly recovering. And this is such an important game for them because they do have some injuries that they'd like to heal up. Frank uh I wrote I wrote Frank Gore on here. Man, that's you know, that'll tell you uh the Seahawks signing Marshawn Lynch makes me think of uh, Frank Gore. So, yeah, there was a ton of jokes on Twitter, which were awesome. You know, oh, you're going to sign Marshawn Lynch? Let's hit up Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman, and we'll just have a go at it. You know, and that's probably why I wrote Frank Gore in my notes. Is, you know, maybe the 49ers should bring in Frank Gore. Just hit up the uh, the Bills and say, hey, can we, uh, can we borrow him just for this week? I mean, I'm sure he's not going to care. So, but you have D Ford, um, the 49ers' premier pass rusher opposite Nick Bosa. He's still dealing with hamstring. The team doesn't expect him to, to come back for the playoffs. And and, and let's say uh, things don't go well up in Seattle, you know, knock on, on wood. Um, I'm not even sure D Ford would be back for the first round of the playoffs. He might be, but this goes back to the 49ers beating the Seahawks and earning that that number one seed to first round by because they need somebody like D Ford back and having a week off for him to heal and slowly ease back into practice would be a huge deal. Um, guard Mike person who was dealing with a neck injury and Julian Taylor, uh, they were both back uh, in uniform for today's practice. Uh, un- unclear of what their level of participation will be and, and, and how likely it is that they make the game. But we'll see. I would assume uh, Daniel Brunskill is probably the person that steps in for Mike Person, who you can probably I, – I think he struggled. He made some great bucks, but I think overall he probably struggled a little bit against the Rams, and, and that's to be expected, especially with – you know they would match up Aaron Donald on him. I'm sure they did the majority of the time. 
Um, so he'll be a little bit better this week if he does step in for person, just because he's got a little bit more experience at the position and, you know, in, in that spot surrounded by those guys. So, you know, that's just a tough thing with West Weston Richburg out and Ben Garland stepping in for him. You had two relatively inexperienced players, not inexperienced because Garland's played plenty. Um, but you have two people that aren't usually there right at the center of the offensive line. So that's going to be tough for the 49ers going forward, uh, adjusting to the fact that, that the center of the offensive line is not jiving as it as it should be or as it used to be. So we'll see when they get Mike Person back how you know things improve. Uh, in addition, probably the most important injury update throughout the week is safety uh, Jaquiski Tart is wearing a blue non-contact jersey, um, but he's back at practice. He had uh, you know a rib injury that was keeping him out of a couple games. Getting him back would be huge. And what's interesting is Marcel Harris, uh, the safety that replaced former six-round pick, replaced Tart. He was much, or seemed much, much better against the Rams than he was the week prior against the Falcons. I felt like he was one of the guys that the Falcons victimized a little bit and targeted. Um, whereas against the Rams, uh, Harris seemed much more effective. I know he probably gave up his fair share of plays, but he also had that uh, almost what probably would have been a pick six or at least an interception return for some yards um, that he dropped. You know, and the old joke is that's why you're a defensive back and you're not a receiver because you can't catch. But it seemed like he was he was improved, and I know he made some good plays in, against the run. So um, if Tart can come back, you know at least Harris has a little bit more experience. But Tart seems to be trending uh, to coming back against the Seahawks, and that's that's a huge boost. Tart's been playing really really well uh, this year. Both him and Jimmy Ward at free safety have just been I wouldn't say lights out, but they've been very very good. So you know the 49ers have, have benefited from good play from them. Also uh, speaking of safety, Tarvarius Moore, like I mentioned earlier, uh, he suffered a concussion against the Rams, but he was in a blue jersey, and things are probably trending for him to come back, but we'll see. So the 49ers injury report isn't nearly as daunting as it has been throughout the season they're trending in the right direction and that's where they need to be so last week of the season and they have already clinched the playoff berth so whether they earn the number one seed or not uh, they need these guys to be heading in the right direction so that's something worth keeping an eye on up throughout the week that you know the status of more tart person um julian taylor we'll, we'll see We'll see, but no matter what, all all four or five of those guys would play a significant role in the game. So they'll be looking forward to having them back. Now, the one thing I wanted to to make sure we hit, and admittedly so, I'm not I'm not super well versed on the all the crazy playoff scenarios that could unfold, but I know the ones that are most likely to unfold. So, what's at stake against the Seahawks? Okay. Aside from their pride, you know, obviously anytime the 49 now, uh, past few years when the 49ers have struggled, uh, it hasn't been as much of a rivalry, but even at the end of last year, the 49ers managed to beat the Seahawks. So it, you know, it's never really quite lost that flair. So obviously if you're asking what's at stake, it's the 49ers and Seahawks, baby, that's what's at stake. Okay. And, and it, not to mention the fact that the team is not one up in Seattle in so long. So, you know, that's right off the bat. But if the 49ers win on Sunday against Seattle, they will be the number one seed in the NFC entering into the playoffs. That is all the motivation they should need. 
motivation they should need. That's a, that's a funny thing to try and say. You end up making a bunch of similar sounds. That mean, I mean, if, if I would have told you, now obviously 49ers fans and, and any fan base really, they have a unique ability to stay positive even when things might not be that great. So I'm sure a lot of you listening right now were very positive about the 49ers outlook heading into the season. But for most, I, th- I still think for most of us, if I would have told you that 49ers were going to be the number one seed going into 2019, if I would have told you that during the offseason, you would probably have been surprised because obviously the 49ers have such a great season. So if they win on Sunday against a Seahawks team that has been struggling and is overrun by injuries and obviously trying to compensate for that, if they win, then they are the NFC's number one seed. It's a huge deal. The, the implications don't get any higher than that. If the 49ers can't get up for this and they can't put together a good game against the Seahawks in week 17 in Seattle with the number one seed and the NFC West on the line, if you can't get up for that, then you're not going to get up. Okay. That would be a, a grim projection for the playoffs if the 49ers somehow go up into Seattle and lay a stink bomb. I don't expect that at all. I expect that team to be firing on all cylinders, ready to silence that crowd. So if they win, they get the number one seed. They'll have a first-round bye in the playoffs. That means that the 49ers, pending any injuries that they may or may not not sustain against the Seahawks, that essentially means the 49ers would go into their first playoff game completely healthy. D. Ford would probably be back. Mike Person would be back. Julian Taylor would be back. Jaquiski Tart. Everybody who's on the injury report right now would be expected to return. And like I said, there, there would there would likely just the nature of football, there would likely be some injuries sustained against the Seahawks, but maybe not. So they get that bye week to heal up. And heaven forbid you give Kyle Shanahan an extra week to prepare against your team. If there's one person I don't want to give any more time to, to plan his schemes, it would be Kyle Shanahan because we've seen what he can do. So that is a huge, huge bonus for the 49ers. Getting that first round by and maintaining home field advantage throughout the playoffs. They're the number one seed. If they win in the divisional round, then they would go to the conference championships at Levi's Stadium. They would maintain home field advantage throughout the playoffs. There is no one that would supersede them. If they, if 49ers kept winning, they would the next game would be at Levi's all the way until the Super Bowl. So it's, and I believe the last like six teams to win the Super Bowl have all come from the number one seed. It is a huge deal to earn that number one seed. So it's, it you know, obviously it's not the Super Bowl, but this is as high as the stakes get for a regular season game. If the 49ers lose, which we need to talk about, I'm not trying to jinx anybody. If they lose, then they get the fifth seed. There are no other scenarios at play anymore. I believe there was more scenarios at play if the Minnesota Vikings would have beat the Green Bay Packers uh, yesterday, but they lost in fairly embarrassing fashion. So they lost a lot of their postseason luster and what teams think they're capable of. And so now if the 49ers lose to the Seahawks, they will become the fifth seed and they will travel on the road to compete, I believe, against what's assured to be either the Cowboys or the Eagles. 
they're still vying for control of their division. Although the Eagles did just beat the Cowboys. So that is the scenario. If you win, you're the number one seed. You get a first round bye, home field advantage, team heals up, an extra week to game plan, a few more days off. Lose, they get the fifth seed, and they are preparing to face a playoff team next weekend. Not this coming weekend, next weekend. So it's it's a huge game for the 49ers and what their hopes could be and going all the way. It's, it, you know, if, if the 49ers and the Seahawks tie, something tells me they won't. Obviously. <laughs> it's just not that common. But if they tie and there's, you know, whether it's Green Bay or Saints, there'd have to be some help around there, but they could still earn the number two or number three seed. I believe the number three seed gets you a home playoff game on wildcard weekend. So there's all kinds. Obviously, you shouldn't expect a tie, but we've seen weirder things. So it could happen. But if the 49ers get a tie, I believe the number two and number three seeds are in play. I just don't know exactly what would have to happen for those to happen. Um, But as far as game plan goes, it's not a mystery to me, at least. They need to stop the run. And given their injuries to Carson, their injuries to ProSize, they lost Penny. This is all since they played the 49ers last. They lost their left tackle. The 49ers should be able to stop the run. The Seahawks' offense is predicated on running the ball. That's just that's their offense. And they're going to try and steal your soul and pound the ball right down the middle. Okay, so the 49ers need to focus on stopping the run. Stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. And of course, we are used to Russell Wilson making plays. But if they can set the Seahawks offense up to where play action isn't as effective because the run game isn't effective and Russell Wilson has to drop back and just make passes, which we know he can do, but in a very similar fashion to what they did against Green Bay, is you're just going to make them drop back and pass. And even when the when the Seahawks played the Rams, or excuse me, the Cardinals last week, that's essentially what they did. That's essentially what the Cardinals forced the Seahawks to do. The Seahawks were at home, in CenturyLink, were only able to rush for 91 yards total. And obviously they had a ton of injuries there, but Chris Carson, eight carries for 40 yards. You know, Travis Homer, five carries for 16 yards. CJ Prosize, four carries for 14 yards. Obviously, Carson and Prosize were before injury. Russell Wilson, two carries, two yards. Put that in contrast to the Seahawks, or excuse me, the Cardinals, who had 40 total carries to 253 yards. So, you know, obviously the Seahawks are going to know that the 49ers are going to watch the Cardinals game and study it and see how they were able to so convincingly beat the Seahawks, you know, and the Seahawks are going to make their own adjustments, but it just reinforces my point that they need to stop the run. Russell Wilson threw 31 times, which is probably more than they would like him to throw. He only completed 16 of them, just over 50%. He only had one touchdown and he had a 78.6 rating. So Russell Wilson just throwing was not good. And the 49ers have the secondary to deal with the Seahawks. So we'll see. We'll see, but that's, I mean, that's it right there. They're the Seahawks leading receiver against the Cardinals 
was tight end Jacob Hollister, who had five receptions for 64 yards, which is not much. So that's to me, that's that's the game plan. And like I said, the, uh, the Seahawks are obviously going to make their own adjustments, but that's what the 49ers need to do. They need to go in Seattle, stop the run, especially now that you're going to have Marshawn Lynch back there. Make sure that he's not effective because that it could work against the Seahawks. So Marshawn Lynch is out there. Oh, this is awesome. He can't gain a freaking yard. That changes things. You know, you're 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 reversing what their hope was. But and then another thing they're gonna have to do is it's obviously they have to rush the passer. They have to get Russ, get after Russell Wilson and force him to make bad decisions, but they have to keep him from leaving the pocket. And not necessarily obviously he's gonna roll out and throw plenty of times, but they've got to keep him from rushing down the field and making them pay for undisciplined whether it's pass rush lanes or what what have you, they need to rush the passer with discipline and make sure that Russell Wilson is contained. They need to maintain their gaps. Keep him there. I don't know if the 49ers are going to elect to spy Russell Wilson and keep somebody in to make sure that he can't scramble. Um, but, you know, because obviously that leaves one less guy dropping into coverage. And sometimes that, you know, Robert Solo doesn't consider that an option. He just expects his talent-laden defensive front to take care of their business. So they're going to have to just be disciplined and make sure Russell Wilson, because there's going to be a big part of him that feels like he needs to put it on his back with the you know depleted running back core, and you know we'll see how the receivers do. So just force them to run the ball, and when they're passing, stay dif- disciplined in their approach, and they should be able to contain Russell Wilson. And I think the 49ers have the best chance to win in Seattle that they've had in a long time. Just by the nature of how this season and this week has unfolded. So we'll see. Huge game. Huge game. The the hugest of regular season games is this Sunday. And it should be an outstanding game. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm looking forward to it. I know you guys are looking forward to it. It's, uh, It's just crazy. 49ers win on Sunday, then they will be the NFC's number one seed and be gifted a first-round bye, home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Y'all will be going to playoffs in Levi's Stadium for the first time since that stadium was built. Okay, let that sink in. It's a pretty big deal. So hopefully the 49ers can get it done so we can you know, add some, add some more firsts to this season. And obviously the 49ers are in much, much better shape than they were. Um, just having George Kittle back completely changes the landscape of that matchup. But that's it. That's all I have for you guys. Uh, you know, I, I said it was going to be a quicker episode. It's already 45 minutes. I'm too long-winded. If you're still here, if you're still listening, I appreciate you. Um, stick around for my nonstop Ray Romano slash Kermit the Frog impression. I love you. Thanks for being here. Um, as always, rate, comment, subscribe, whatever whatever it is to do out there on whatever device and, and medium you're listening to this on. Hit me up on Twitter anytime, at Rob underscore louder. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Uh, could always use some positive reinforcement or some or some constructive criticism, whatever you got. Um, I, again, the, the, the main takeaway is I just appreciate you guys being here and listening. Um, it's a pleasure just to be able to be on the Blue Wire Network and bring you guys the Striking Gold podcast. And... Um, Things have been nothing but nothing but positive vibes so far. So I hope you guys are enjoying the holiday season. Um, cherish your loved ones. Enjoy this time. Uh, hope you all have a very merry Christmas. And I will see you guys um, Sunday. 
and, and like I said, you can always find me on social media. So have a great uh, holiday season and go Niners. This is Striking Gold signing out.